Good evening, Cash Chasers. Russ Kempton here, owner and founder of Speaking of Grapes and Grains in North Texas, and you are listening to Cash Chasers tonight. For those of you that know Russ Kempton from Speaking of Grapes and Grains, you understand the amount of knowledge he brings to the table every time he sits down to discuss whiskey, food pairings, flavor profiles, or anything else he can share from his over 35 years of experience. If you don't know who Russ Kempton is, then you are in for quite the lesson on this all-new episode of the Cash Chasers podcast. He has traveled and lectured all around the world about wines, spirits, and food pairings. And this week, he makes a stop here to tell us a little bit about the man himself, provide some insight on dissecting the flavor profile of any fine whiskey, and how to properly pair your favorite dram to that perfect dish. He even provides some sound advice for anyone that is new to the game. So pour a dram and settle in. This is the Cash Chasers Podcast. Welcome to the Cash Chasers podcast. Thanks for downloading the show this week. We are so grateful to have everybody here with us. Uh, we hope we find you safe and healthy. Uh, as always, uh, virtually, as we've been doing the last few weeks, we have Bobby Bird. Hey, buddy. What's up, man? <laughs> love the tra- I love the train <laughs> intro. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, Aaron Pross. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Uh, great to have you guys, as always. And uh, this week we have um, some of you cash chasers out there may know this person. We've, he's been uh, a part of a few of our Facebook lives and um, he, he's uh, always been a great conversation starter in the chats. Um, we're very excited to have this person on. Uh, he has traveled around the world learning from masters of distillery and uh, business and having participated in over 1,900 distilled spirits and wine events. He's been in the industry for over 35 years as part of sales, marketing, and management. And today he is the owner of Speaking of Grapes and Grains, which is a company that educates, entertains, and consults on all aspects of alcoholic beverages. Without further ado, Mr. Russ Kempton, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scotty, Aaron, and Bobby, and Swante to everybody out there in the Cash Chasers world. Russ, we want to. We have a lot to cover uh, because you have so much experience and uh, knowledge. And um, I always like to, before we get into the, the the deep whiskey discussions, I always like to uh, just learn a little bit about the man himself. What brought, what led you to this journey? Thirty five years in an industry is a long time. What pointed you in that direction? All right. So uh, my senior year at the University of Texas. Uh, I sold cakes to the fraternities, and uh, I cut, fell into the industry from there. I worked for a small beer house for a number of years, did some work with uh, Pass Blue Ribbon for, for a period of time, and then got into big distribution uh, distributors in Texas and Arizona, and uh, was part-time ambassador for Glen Morgan and Arbeg in Texas from 08 to 13. I was in sales and marketing. And then, you know, after our oldest daughter, the youngest daughter graduated from college, I said, you know what? I've been doing this part-time on the side with my events around the state of Texas. So I was tired of corporate distribution. And so I took a business plan that I'd written several years ago and turned it into my business, Speaking of Grapes and Grains. And I've had this business now for almost seven years. My wife coined the term Speaking of Grapes and Grains. And I and I now since um, mid-2013, I've done over 500 
events around the country. And three of those events have been in Cabo, mm. tequila events, of all things. So I'm fortunate to live and work my passion. Uh, I teach Scotch whiskey at the University of North Texas, and I've been doing that for 20 years. Students get in their hotel restaurant management degree. I step in for the professor uh, three to four times a semester. And I also teach the same class at the University of Delaware every so often when I'm out in your neck of the woods. Yes, which is uh, how we ended up all crossing paths. And so, you know, we are a whiskey show. We're going to talk a lot about whiskey. But speaking of grapes and grains is more than just whiskey, right? You have you talk a wide variety of uh, alcoholic beverages. I speak on every distilled spirits category. Uh, I speak on uh, not the wine production, even though I can. But when I do my wine events, it's more about pairing wine and food and the reason why. Uh, I've been trained through that through the years. And then uh, I've been doing more and more beer events uh, because, you know, the beer craze is, is here to stay. At least we hope so. Uh, and so I've uh, been doing more and more of that. But I would say 75% of what I do uh, on my events is whiskey related. You are a, uh, a a well-trained professional. How much of that, though, is from your travels? And, and how much of that education do you just gather along the way? I like to bring my, when I, when I travel, when I'm visiting distilleries, wineries, breweries, you know, I, I, I focus, I beeline and I zoom in, uh, sort of speak. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. Uh, years ago, about 22, 23 years ago, uh, we took a group of 35 sales reps and managers from my distributor here in Texas, where it was a, a regional manager. And we went up to Jai Danis and they, they, they go, all right, you got to watch Russ. He's going to get lost. He's going to go over here. He's going to go over there. And so they had to find me at some of the warehouses. I was just, I was, I was wandering. I would walk in these warehouses just by myself. I did the same thing at Woodford Reserve. Where, where'd Kempton go? Well, he's over over this over this part of the warehouse looking at stuff, and so I always took take my time just to see what's going on and absorb. So the thirty when the years I was in corporate distribution, I attended over five thousand classes on distilled spirits, wine, and beer four times a week on a Monday or Friday. So four classes with suppliers. Multiply that out through the years. I was five thousand classes, and I. I visited over 250 distilleries and wineries and breweries around the world, just absorbing and learning and, and seeing the trends and, and, and really continue to learn today. You know, I still learn every day. The day you quit learning is the day you might as well just give it up. Russ, Russ, I got a question for you. Yes. This is, this is Bobby, longtime listener, um, short time follower. Um, <laughs> What's the one, I'm just kidding. What's the one question you're asked in the whiskey world? That number one, if you had to average the amount of questions you get, what is the, what is the significant question you get and how would you answer that? Cause you're a whiskey phenomenon. I mean, you know, things that I pray to know because of the years of term and business and business you've been, what is that question? How do you absorb the whiskey on your palate and what, type of flavor profiles do you get from that and the reason why? And that's the biggest question I get, whether it be a classroom at a university or just in a novice at a, at a, one of the events I do from a corporate event, you know, how do you, how do you taste on your palate and the reason why? Um, and that's the number one question I get. And on how I answer that, I said, you, you, you look at the, you look at the whiskey first in the glass 
You swirl it around, you nose it. You put a little bit on your palate and just let it rest there for a minute. Say, okay, what am I picking up? Well, if you're a novice and a newbie, the first thing you're going to pick up is going to be alcohol. You're going to go, whoa. And all of a sudden, their their palate, becomes, it stuns their palate for a minute. And I said, okay, just go back, try a little bit more. And are you picking up, if it's an American whiskey, let's just say it's Maker's Mark. So are you picking up a little bit of sweetness? Yeah, that's from the corn. Are you picking up a little citrus? Are you picking up a little bit of spice? You know, and, and a little bit of toffee, maybe a little bit of creme brulee. Yeah, I'm picking up a little bit about. All right, so then just add a couple drops of water. So when I add in a couple drops of water. In Scotland, it's called releasing the serpent. A couple drops of water in the United States is called releasing the beast. So once you just add a couple drops of water, I'll, I'll tell the group, the novice, you know, the you know, some kids or people learning for the first time, said adding just a couple drops of water enhances the flavor of the whiskey. It breaks down the molecular structure of that spirit and brings out those trapped flavors that have been there during distillation and maturation. So adding just a couple drops of water just brings out those great trapped flavors. And they'll say, wow, it, some palace and some young palace or novices, it, it sweetens it up or some, the spice level goes up, it goes down. It just depends on that person. And also, what do they have for lunch that day or what do they have for dinner? You know, there's all these things, you know, that happen during the course of a day for people's palate. And, you know, did, did they have cologne on today? Do they have perfume on today? That's going to challenge their, their sensory perception during a tasting. Also, maybe the first or second time they're trying to spirit. And Russ, I want to, on that same topic, because uh, I thought this was very interesting. Before we started the show, you had mentioned to Bobby about, you asked us what the temperature was here. Can you tell us why? All right. So when you're in a cool environment like you guys are on the East Coast today, you know, and you're, say, you're in the house and maybe you have the windows open and you have the fireplace going, you know, it's, it's cold out. You, you know, you're, you haven't had any ice or water. You just have the spirit neat in your glass. And it's going to completely taste completely different today than as if you were up by the pool in a couple of weeks. The humidity is coming off the Atlantic Sea. It's 75, 80 degrees on a Saturday night, a little bit more humid, a little, little hotter. And, and now the whiskey is a little hotter in your glass. You're going to taste not what you're tasting tonight when it's cold, because when you have that hot influence, it can it can really tame some of those spirit flavors that you get when it's a little bit of cooler and colder without adding that ice. Because again, when you add ice to to a and you're in Delaware and Maryland, you're adding ice tonight is 35, 36 degrees. It's really gonna suffocate that spirit flavor. I just wanted to add to that a little bit. Do you have a favorite cocktail? I mean, you're you're a wiki, you know, guy. But do you mix? Do you have an ice drink that you think is the great? You're from Texas. I'm from Texas. It gets hot. What are we drinking in the middle of the heat that cools us off a little bit? It's a barbecue. I don't have a beer ready. What do I make? Well, let's not talk tequila. Uh, my, you know, my favorite cocktail for tequila is not margarita. It's a Paloma. Uh, that's what they, you drink in Mexico. Um, I like, you know, like, I drink Laphroaig and Ardbeg year round. You know, I, I drink whiskey year round, whether it be, you know, a weeded, uh, a, you know, a heavy rye uh, or a single malt or an eye light. 
But my favorite cocktail year-round is a Manhattan, whether it be a bourbon or a rye-based, or the the uh, the version they use in Scotland. You know, the version the version Manhattan in Scotland is a Rob Roy, and so I like uh, I like those uh, in the, in the summertime, whether it be fall, whether it be winter, whether it be spring. That's my favorite cocktail. So. You and I, Russ, have the same palate, I think. I've heard you talk a lot in the Cast Chasers, you know, uh, group and, and and everything. I'm curious your opinion on something. A lot of times we talk to uh, newcomers to whiskey or we talk to distillers or whatever. And Aaron and I and Scott will say we're whiskey people. Or I'm sorry, we're Scotch people or we're bourbon people. There's a clear difference. I use the analogy of soup versus versus a stew. Stew being a bourbon, a soup being a scotch. Very complex with a, with a scotch, up and down flavors, nuances that are they're hinted by the ingredients where a stew is very much based on the base of the stew. The, the, how do you answer that question? When somebody says, I want to drink a whiskey, what's the difference between a scotch and a bourbon? And I know there's, there's Japanese, there's Indian, but those are the two quintessential whiskeys out there. What would you, how do you define the difference between the two basic parallels? So, you know, a single malt scotch, whether it be a single malt American, you know, single malt is 100% malted barley. So you think about barley, rye, wheat, they're very dry cereal grains in comparison to, say, corn. There's no such thing as barley, rye, or wheat fructose, but we all know about corn syrup and, and corn fructose. So, Corn is very, very, is very, very sweet. So if you're a sweet consumer like bourbon, whether it be Tennessee whiskey, whether it be Canadian, you know, you, you tend to like that sweeter style where a malt, a single malt, is going to be a little bit more dry. The rye is going to be a little bit spicy and, and earthy, where wheat's going to be soft also. So for me, and, and I've always seen this, it's it's harder for a scotch drinker to become a bourbon drinker than vice versa because you're walking up that ladder of progression. So when I do my Whiskeys of the World uh, events, I always drop Japanese in first, then Irish, then Scotch, then American because you're walking up that ladder of progression. So that's why it's a journey. So all my events that I do, are they're titled The Journey of XYZ. And so you walk up that ladder of progressions. And so... A, a beer drinker does not start drinking Guinness today. They start drinking Miller Lite, walk up to IPAs and to other, other, other to get to their stouts and their porters. It's the same thing on the whiskey of the world. You start off light and you go up heavy over time. Sure, it's, it, it, you know, you're going up and down, right? You're going up and you're going down to the peaks and you're going to the valleys. Scott likes, he likes his island. You like your Orkneys. But then, it's fun because you're there to branch out and explore, but always going back to what you pride yourself on as far as a whiskey drinker. It's all about the journey for me. Oh, so Russ, I, this is, this is something that um, you and I have talked about just a little bit here and there. Um, and it's something I really wanted to lean into for this. So when, when Bobby and I first started Cask Chasers, before we even called it Cask Chasers, we didn't even have a name for it. It was just, you know, seven friends getting together and drinking some whiskey. And we went, hey, everybody bring a whiskey. And there were seven of us drinking like 11 whiskeys or something like that. 
and we were just which is a better yogurt. name than cast chasers to be honest with you. i love that <laughs> so, <name. laughs> that's right <laughs> um so um we we learned a lot in that first tasting if you can even call it that about what not to do at a tasting so uh, what i'd like from you okay. if you wouldn't mind is i'm you know i'm at home i'm just starting off um you know maybe i'm not uh, a, a member of a group or I'm not going to tastings or something like that. If that's the type of person I am and I'm going to get three to five friends together and we just have random whiskeys, what, what, how, how do I order those? And I, you can break it down. Like, you know, uh, how would you do bourbons? How would you do Americans? How would you do scotch whiskeys and that sort of thing? But like, how, how do I set it up um, in such a way that it makes sense? And we've gotten better at that over time, but for the person that's just turning this episode on for the first time is like, I just want to do a whiskey tasting at home. How, what do you do? What do you do? All right. So if we're, let's, let's talk American whiskey first. Uh, and we can actually generalize that into North American whiskey because of rye. Um, so when I put my component tastings together and I like to drop eight into my lineup, you know, eight is a good number. And I, and I always want to measure it lightest to heaviest, not necessarily youngest to oldest, with various proof points in between. Age is just a number. You never get caught up with age. If you get caught up with an, with age in your lineup, like it's got to be a 10, 12, 15, 18, 21. No, that crashes your tasting before you even get it off the ground. Do some research. So I would always like to put, if I'm going to do eight whiskeys and I'm doing an American whiskey lineup tonight, I always like to start off with a weeded whiskey, which would be Bernheim from Heaven Hill, the first new whiskey type introduced after Prohibition. So I, a weeded whiskey. And then after that, then I would do a weeded bourbon, whether it be Weller, whether it be Larceny, whether it be Maker's Mark, and then walk up that ladder progression after that to, to some bourbons that, that are around 60% corn, that have malted barley, that, that have a little bit of rye in there, and then walk up then to maybe do a, an Angel's Envy. Uh, before we get into the rise because again, you don't want to put that angels envy in the first part of the lineup because now you want your American Oak, which would be the first several in your lineup followed by a wood finish, uh, angels envy, uh, or boondocks, whatever it might be. And then you, uh, go with say a bullet rye, uh, or a rye that might be 75% rye and the end with a hundred percent rye. And then you really have a good mix in your lineup there. And you're, you're going to have some aged whiskeys in there. There might be an age statement of six, of 10. You know, you might have that whistle pig at the end of, of, of 12 year. Uh, and, and so, and that's a good thing. And that's a well, nice, well-rounded lineup from an American whiskey perspective. A lot of people that come to our tasting, they, they want that older, they believe in that nuanced older whiskey. They believe in something that's aged and, and eclectic and everything. Can you speak a little bit to the, the appropriateness of a younger whiskey and the, and the benefit of it? Um, there's some great whiskeys out there that are 12, Scotch specifically, 12 to 18 years, and then bourbons that are, that are new to the market, but they're doing great things. Can you talk a little bit about, about how 
there are goodness in new and you don't have to have a 20 year single malt to be an appropriate or better quote unquote whiskey. Yeah, just just because it's older doesn't make make it better. Again, age is just a number. Does that 21-year-old that you're drinking tonight as a young consumer because you've been told your whole life it's older, it's better, does not it might it just might shut your palate down because you're not ready for it. And you say, you know what, I'm not gonna touch that type of whiskey for a long time. And then you might go back to your the one that you grew up with, whether it be Jack Daniels or Maker's Mark or Jim Beam, whether it might be those are great legacy brands, but you know, they're there's it's all about for me, two things. It's the journey and it's the experience. And you know, Maker's Mark, they want six summers in oak. So we know that Maker's Mark is going to be a six-year-old whiskey. That's the equivalent to an 18-year-old scotch. For every year in the United States for bourbon or Tennessee whiskey maturation, it takes over three years in Scotland. And in Ireland, so uh, in other cooler climates of the country, so stay with the true great legacy brands. All right, here's an example: Jim Beam Black, eight-year-old bourbon is fantastic, but people shelve that because they think Jim Beam is an is an awful awful ran distillery. It's the largest distillery in the United States, along with Jack Daniels and Heaven Hill. So that's why I, don't, I, I, I drink legacy brands all the time. You know, just like you talked about a minute ago, Bobby, Johnny Walker Black, that's my well-blended whiskey at my house, you know? So it's, we, we had on one of our previous episodes, we actually had the American brand ambassador for, uh, for Beam Suntory. And that, yeah. uh, like you said, I, you know, I, I had, um, I've gotten better, but before I really got into, you know, whiskey and appreciating it and that and, and everything. When I was in my early stages of, you know, it was, oh, Jim Beam, puh, you know, it's just sort of this, oh, Jim Beam, whatever. And, you know, you, you go through phases and you learn a, a little bit more and you, the big guys are there for a reason. You know, sure. they got, they got there because they were doing something right. And I'm not the biggest fan of Jack Daniels, but they're doing something right. And a lot of people like it, you know? So, um, just even just hearing hearing uh, her talk, Beth talk about the product and just the wealth of not just bourbon knowledge, but the wealth of whiskey knowledge that she just has and the type of people they're hiring, the type of product they are, um, the no family in general. It's just it, it, it's you, you can't you can't shy away from, you know, these these other things. And, you know, we, we have people post in our group. Uh, all the time. Hey, you know, I just, I just bought this thing and you know, uh, what do you think of it? And you know, it's a gentleman Jack or okay. something like that. And you know, there's a lot of whiskey groups out there, a lot of Facebook groups that, you know, if you posted that you would just get, you know, run through the ringer, like, oh, blah, 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 that, bull, that crap, blah, 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 this and that. But it's, it's, I, I, I love, I love the phrase, you know, eight, age is just a number, but I love even more, you know, just, yeah, it really is. You know, do you know? Do you know why that twenty year is more expensive? Because there's less of it. You know, right. <laughs> it's just it's it's that you really have to do that. And every every authority on whiskey that we've spoken to, and this is something that we always want to reiterate to the cast chasers and and everything like that. Every authority that we've spoken to is you know drink the whiskey you enjoy the most. You know, and, you know, lean into that. Yeah, we want you to explore. We want your palate to grow. We want we want you to have more of an experience. 
but you know this you know they're they're the the real the real deal people the people who know what they're talking about are not saying oh i won't drink anything under 20 years you know so thank you for coming in and saying that what happened in glass tonight aaron that is a great question. And Scott actually just sent me a text saying, Hey, let's talk about what we're all drinking. Um, so we'll, we'll lean into that. Um, so tonight I am actually drinking the, uh, Mortlock 20 year, um, which, um, I actually got for a really good deal. I'm not going to talk numbers, but I got it for a really good deal from a liquor store owner in our group who he got it for a really good deal as well. Um, and this is fantastic. And this is one that, you know, I, I was, as I was sipping this, as we were talking about, you know, sort of the age is just a number thing. And if somebody starts with an older whiskey, their palate really can't handle it. This is something that probably even just as recently as two, three years ago, I would have tasted it and I would have gone, okay, you know, I get tastes like whiskey to me, you know? And like now just it's, I really, 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 really like it. It's got to me and, you know, this is all subjective, but to me, I get a lot of almost fruity kind of berry type notes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of honey. Uh, I, I, and I imagine this is because it's a 20 year old versus a 10 to 15 year old. I do get more wood in this as a, yeah. as a scotch than I get um, from some other things. But really good. Um, a a manager of a different liquor store turned me on to the Mortlock brand about a year ago, and I started off with the twelve, and I was like, oh, I really like this. And my wife, who is also a Scotch fan, did not like did not like the the Mortlock twelve, which made me want to keep it even more because it means it would last in my house even longer. What do you What are you drinking there, Russ? So, uh, so Mortlock, you know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's in Dufftown. You know, so the Dufftown Distillery is right down the hill. I've walked from the, I've walked from Dufftown Distillery up to Mortlock, owned by Diageo, both of them. And so, you know, those important component in, in in the House of Walker and other blends from Diageo, and they're 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 uh, probably a driver and a long wedge from uh, Balvini and Glenfiddich in in Dufftown. Uh, great, great people there. And then right down the road from there is there another Diageo one called Glen Gullen. Uh, so all great distilleries. So I have in my glass tonight, uh, Loch Lomond. They're, uh, they're, they're senior vice president of sales for the country. He's a good friend of mine. And so I like to drop Loch Lomond into a lot of my events. And, you know, this is a 12 year, 100% American Oak. Wow. I, I'm tonight. I get a lot of citrus tonight, just and I get I'm, my palate's a little tingly tonight, and I'm you know I, I guess that you're talking about uh, the oak a second ago because that Mortlock oak. I mean, this is again, this is American oak first fill barrels, American oak second fill barrels, and then recharred American oak barrels that are heavy char. So I do get a lot of spice and and a, and a lot of char and a lot of smoke, but again, that's my palate. You know that that's who that's what my palate is, and it's really has not diverted. Uh, the last 35 years. And that's really interesting too. So my, my, I've, I've not been in the whiskey game as long as you have. So I'm still at the point where, you know, I'm developing my palate. I'm not going to be, you know, near, near someone who's, you know, been even, even in the, in, in the whiskey game or tasting whiskeys for even 10 years at this point. Um, but I'm discovering sort of the, the notes that my palate 
really like that I really lock on to, you know, and it's, it's fun. Um, Bobby described it once as, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the nose, the palate, that sort of thing. You're, you're searching for notes. It's like when you're, when you're at home and you know, your, your spouse says to you, do you smell something burning? And you stop and you search for it with your nose, you know, and you sort of, you lock on to those, those, um, those odors, those flavors, and even, even physical feelings to a certain degree. And, um, the things that I'm finding that I really, really like. Um, and so I'm searching for them in every whiskey. So even if there's a little bit of it, I'm picking it up are, uh, like dark berries is, is something that I've really started leaning into. Um, a friend of mine pointed out, uh, cherry in a, uh, I, I, in la- the, the newest, uh, larceny barrel proof. He was like, I get a lot of cherry on that. And I had never tasted cherry in a whiskey before. And I just stopped and like, now I'm searching for cherry every whiskey that I drink because it was foreign to me. And now I'm starting to pick it up. And then anything like a, um, like a fig or a current, those are really, really enjoyable to me when I find those on whiskeys. So I'm obviously still sort of developing my palate. I love the Islas. I love smoky. I love peated. Um, I like them a little more than Bobby does. I think a little less than Scott does. Cause like we talked about, he dove right into Ardbeg and that was his first, you know, whiskey experience. And he just, God love him. Just dove right in. Well, that's, what's fun about the, the lineups that you go through is, you know, starting with light to medium to heavy and then to peat. I'm talking about Scott's side right now is, you know, I, if I, again, I, as I told you earlier, I always want eight in my lineup just for the diversity of the category. And so if I'm doing a Scotch whiskey event, single malts, all, all single malts, maybe there'll be a rogue blend in there every once in a while, like a compass box, which I love. Um, the first four could be American Oak exclusively house an ex American Oak. Um, 20 million barrels maturing in Scotland today. 97% of those barrels are ex American Oak that held our whiskey here first. We go have a great second life around the world. So four whiskeys in that lineup of the eight might be a first four American oak, different ages. And um, and then all of a sudden, I love then to drop in an extra aged sherry. Say, it might be double wood from, from Balvini or Glenmorangie, La Santa or Portwood that's been housed in a secondary vessel. And then all of a sudden, now you're, you're starting to pick up that fig. You're starting to pick up those sherry notes. You're starting to pick up dried fruit, you know, dried nut component, because you're really not going to pick up a lot of dried fruit, if at all, unless you've got that sherry Madeira portwood influence. And then uh, then I like to do that 100% sherry, which, wow, that really changes the game on your palate towards the end of that night, because that sherry, that 100% sherry, like a McAllen or Glendronic, you know, or a Balvini a single barrel, um, all of a sudden you go, wow, not only am I getting citrus and spice, sugar, vanillas, caramelized sugars, I'm picking up that dried fruit. I'm picking up that fig. Oh, maybe sometimes I'm going to pick up some cedar at the same time. You know, sometimes I'm going to pick up a little bit of tobacco at the same time. And then you go, wow, now my palate is ready for the final, which is that's when you're getting into the islands of Scotland or the peated influences of Scotland. and I know we're going to talk about this later, you know, tomorrow, but that's when you really show how 
whiskey and food pair well together when you're having a sherry influence or a peat influence at the end with a little bit of food, then you're going, okay, now my eyes are starting to open up to the whiskeys of the world and how they really play on my palate when you're introducing food, chocolate, cheese to it. And I, I love peated whiskeys. You know, peated whiskeys in Scotland, they're known as liquid central heating because they will warm you up on a cold winter's night. It'll warm you up the middle of the summer too. Um, let, let, real quick, because I know I know that pe- people will actually be able to, um, at this point in time, go back and watch your Facebook live about the um, uh, food pairing and that sort of thing. But if they're listening to this first, could you just talk just very very briefly um, your thoughts on pairing? whiskey with food. I mean, I know you do events where you, you have an entire meal where you're pairing whiskey with food. And we've talked with chefs, we've talked with, you know, other sort of um, uh, whiskey experts, food experts. What What is your feeling um, with sort of, you know, the, the sort of whiskey, the whiskey boom, if you can even call it that since it's been riding so long? And, you know, do you think that in restaurants and that sort of thing that we're going to see more um, you know, like, like you see in restaurants, meals paired with wine, with this course, you get this wine, with this course, you get this wine. And I know that's part of what you do with whiskey, with your whiskey and food pairings, just in general, in, um, in the common world, do you think we're going to see that sort of thing, uh, with, with whiskey in, in restaurant? Yeah. So Aaron, I, I want this to go from a novelty to mainstream and, and, and we're at a novelty stage right now. Uh, just because the the whiskey enthusiast category is is very is very very low on the bottom of, of the ladder as opposed to the wine and, and beer, and that people are starting to realize because of social media and other aspects, you know, chefs doing more whiskey driven dinners or events uh, around the country, and you know, it, this plays into growing a category that's very very been on the slow burn in my mind. And that's why I know my job will never be done is because there's always going to be an opportunity to do events just because of that. As an independent educator, not tied to brands anymore, I can put in a lineup, say it's a six course meal, whether it be a cocktail up front, dessert at the back, that they're very unique dinner pairings, whether it be salad, whether it be an appetizer, the main entree is always going to be a big piece of meat. Uh, and with, with the dessert at the end. So I wanted to go from a novelty to mainstream, but w- because we're in a crazy time right now in the restaurant industry, it's going to take a while for it to rebound and reset itself. So I think we've been set back uh, several years, uh, which is very, very unfortunate. Russ, we're seeing, uh, you know, quite a, a, a larger um, presence of, enthusiasts popping up. I, I feel like whiskey is gaining some great traction. And, and with that, uh, we're seeing a lot of other areas of the country pop up with distilleries, smaller distilleries. And I, I'm curious, first off, uh, what area of the country most intrigues you? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, being in Texas, we have so many operating distilleries now. They're popping up uh, left, right, center. I have some favorite ones here, some friends of mine. Uh, Washington State. 
I like what's going on in Washington State. Uh, I like Woodenville, you know, just recently purchased by uh, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. I like what's going on uh, in, in Oregon because, uh, again, the Northwest is going to be it's a cooler climate. So those whiskeys are going to be, you know, a little bit different than the, than the, the, the whiskeys of the country that are in a hotter climate. You know, I, I've been to Sagamore, you know, in, in Baltimore. I, I like what they're going to they're doing now and what their future is going to bring when they're all grain to glass. You know, I, I know a lot of great, a lot of smaller distilleries, they, their aspiration is, is to go from, you know, buying from MGP or other distilleries to go from grain to glass to be a, like a beam or, a, or, you know, a Jack Daniels, a maker's mark, you know, down the road generation. But it takes their takes a long time to get there. So so I, I like what's going on in New York. Um and, and so there's there's I like what's going on in Illinois. Some of the larger states, again, I've, I've been to Painted Stave, uh, you know, and I like what they're doing. And, and so I like what they're doing in Pennsylvania. It's just it, it's, there's it's, this is a great time, Scott, to be an enthusiast sure. of this category because we've never seen this type of selections before in our lifetime because there are over 2,000 distilleries operating in the United States today. Sure, the majority of the big guys control the majority of the inventory and the production, but who's to say that these guys in Oregon, Washington, New York, your area of the country could not maybe next be the next big whiskey region of the of the country? Right. Just take time. And that goes into my next question is to from your perspective, I mean, how vital are these micro distilleries that are popping up? How how vital is that to the overall whiskey picture? Well, you know, before the pandemic, so just going back then, you know, so last year, you know, the our uh, boutique and craft distilleries here in the United States were the envy of the world. Like, wow, what is going on in America besides the big legacy distillers? Uh, you know, in Scotland, you know, what's going on in Scotland is is the micro gin distilleries, hmm. which is cool to see. Yeah. You know, the rebirth of what's going on in Ireland. You know, Irish whiskey, they were almost out of business in the 70s. You know, and now they're coming back. They're they, they're and in Canada they're building micro distilleries. So all over the world, this is this is happening. You know, they 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 are having some struggles with uh, their laws and regulations in Japan right now. The transparency, but we'll see where that goes here in the next few years. You know, I've tried some uh, Australian whiskeys. You know, there's a namesake distillery in Australia called the Old Kempton Distillery. You know, and, and I want to get my hands on that to try it. And and so I've tried New Zealand whiskeys. You know, I've tried with, and I, I, and, you know, Taiwan, India. You know, there, this is a great time. Ten years ago, Scott, we would not have this conversation. Sure. And so, and, and so fast forward to where we are today, you go to your total, you go to your your independent stores there in your area. There's a better selection today than there was even five years ago. You know, but that goes back to understanding the category and not just picking up the next hot brand that somebody found on Facebook. Yeah. You know, because if you run out of it and you can't restock it, then people move on to something else. Yeah. And we we just had a, a great conversation with, with a, a smaller distillery. And, you know, one of the things that came through through uh, with that entire interview was you this was a family owned and operated uh, distillery. 
And then one of the things you could tell when you when you listen to these guys talk was just the passion that uh, we haven't had. We haven't actually had their whiskey yet. We're trying to save that for when we're all together again. Um, but when we listen to these guys talk, you could almost taste the whiskey. Right? I mean, it was just an incredible thing to see. And uh, you know, to the point you're making, it's it's places like that where I think you just uh, you, you kind of get the magic right that happens. Well, you know, you know, they're, they're, they live and work their passion every day. I, I say that to myself about my company. I live and work my passion every day because I know there are new consumers walking into this category every moment of the day. Mm. And, and people are, you know, if you, if you want to learn, uh, there's, there's a way to, to gain the knowledge through, you know, through your podcast, through what I do, you know, through my events, what you guys are doing as advocates for this category. Because again, the genie has not been put back in the bottle. It's out of the bottle to stay. Uh, thank God our government does not overregulate the industry. Uh, so we're kind of free to play within the rules of the game. And as you know, this distillery that you just talked about, these, these, you know, this micro, they're passionate about what they do because they, they found what they enjoy and what they like. And, and that's why I saw an opportunity when, when my daughters were in college, I go, as soon as the youngest one gets out, I'm leaving the distribution game. Uh, I was burned out. And I said, there is an opportunity because people are thirsting for what is this? What is that? Why is this different? The reason why these whiskeys are completely different from one to the other. And and so that in and, and the second wave of this, I haven't seen yet. I'm not sure where we're peaking yet. You know, now because of the pandemic, you know, we've got the curve and we've got this and we've got that. So. We're, we're, we're going up this ladder. We're, we're walking up to the peak yet, and, and we're not even halfway there. Because uh, as long as we have grain in America, as long as we have copper and stainless steel and oak, we're going to have new distilleries popping up all, all the time. And also they need to be there to support the legacy distillers too. Yeah, so let, I want to switch gears a little bit to uh, speaking of grapes and grain again um, and going back to that a little bit. You said you do uh, a lot of um, a lot of uh, seminars and stuff at universities in front of hospitality and restaurant groups. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, when I when I think of a hospitality group or a restaurant management group, they have so much within the food and the beverage uh, areas you know, how much do you see them come to you and they really want to get into the, the, the details of, of like of, of whiskey or maybe of wine? Does that happen? Do they are they really interested in the deep seated details? OK, so, so it's a bartender that wants to become a, a master mixologist. It's someone who says, you know what, I've been a bartender or a server for five years. I want to, how do I get in the distribution business? You know, and I'm an advocate for that. And so I'll, I'll coach them and teach them. I'll say, because they say, oh, I, I want to do what you do someday. I said, well, it's going to, it's a lot of learning, a lot of paying attention, a lot of certifications, you know, and, but I, I give them a roadmap, whether it be a server, uh, a mixologist, or a student at a university. They say, I want to get in, I'm a hospitality manager, but I just major, but I decided, you know what? I don't want to do that now. I see what you're doing. I want to be you someday. Show me that path. And, and so uh, the big, when I do my big uh, catering events or uh, so, uh, so NACE, National Associated Catering Events, I speak at their conference uh, every couple of years. 
Society of Wine Educator Conferences. I spoke on whiskey there for years. You know, I'm often asked by Psalms or other groups, how do I get into this part of the business? Because I don't know how, you know, because there are not, they're really basically, they're not recruiters, you know, in, in my end of the industry. You just kind of fall into it like I did. <laughs> So it's, it's one, one, one thing that we, we've talked, we've talked to people so far and we on the podcast and off the podcast, we've talked to people in every nook and cranny of the whiskey industry, um, whether that be, you know, their, you know, their entire focus has been whiskey. They've had, you know, they've done wine, you know, distillers do, we, we were, you know, uh, sort of half joking, uh, with one distiller we talked to, you know, it's, it's whiskey, gin and vodka, you know, for, for a lot of distilleries, you, you got to do something to pay the bills. Right. Um, but, um, we, we've talked to people of all corners of the industry and it's amazing just to see sort of, uh, there, there's like, there's a common thread in there, um, for all the, and everybody sort of knows everybody too. Aside from the the whiskey world being, uh, I've said it time and again. Bobby's echoed it. Scott says it all the time. Um, the people, the, the the whiskey community is a very a generous group of people. Um, Russ, when you and I very at the very beginning started talking, um, the next time you were in my area, you're like, hey, let's meet up for a drink. And um, uh, so like that's you know the way. We always say whether that's something specific to the whiskey industry or just because we're ingrained in the whiskey industry uh, industry in the whiskey world, if that's something that we're seeing. Um, but there's always this sort of common thread where you see people's paths sort of cross. Um, you know, I, this person was kind of into whiskey and then they were a brand ambassador for this brand and then they got caught up in this. And um, it, it seems that um, I, either everybody has been at some point either a brand ambassador or a you know like a, a a a bartender or worked for a distributor at some point and um everybody kind of knows everybody um i'll bring people up to you and you'll be like oh yeah i know that person somebody somebody that i came across talking to two other people you'll be like oh yeah i know him he was coming into uh glenmorangie when right around when i was leaving or i'll talk to this person oh yeah yeah i know russ um i know russ from this thing and now this person works for glencairn glass so like it's just it's all these different you know people and there's just it's it's such an integrated community and even between the brands um, I know when you're when you're a brand ambassador, you're sort of limited to fitting your product to the need. You know, just from a sales standpoint, you know that's uh, I know that um, from selling whatever. Um, but uh, the, everybody sort of seems to play nice together, and that's that's sort of one thing that I really like. You know, there's a lot of crossover and that sort of thing. And one thing that you and I have talked about a couple of times is after getting out of that brand ambassador sort of area, you're free to pull from everywhere, but there's, there's merit to your original brands and you're dropping those in all the time. So that's, that's, that's one thing that I, I really like is just everybody plays nice together. Um, could you talk a little bit about just sort of the whiskey community in general and just sort of your journey and how everybody just sort of seems to know everybody? So, you know, one thing you don't burn bridges in any industry, if you want to stay within that industry, you know, first and foremost, right? So one of the two tenants, my, when I was hired in the industry uh, years and years ago, my old boss, my, one of my uh, two true mentors, he goes, Russ, two things you never do. You never 
you never uh, taught down a competitor or a brand, number one. And uh, you always drink the products that you're selling. You never drink the competitor's brands. You learn that right there, then you're going to go far in this industry. If you burn either one of those, you're going to go do something else for a living. And that was really the methodology that came in really after Prohibition uh, when the distributors uh, network came in. And uh, so, yeah, it is, is it a tight because, again, relatively speaking, we're still a small industry. Uh, we look big, but, you know, there's not a lot of people within this doing what we do. Uh, so we all know each other. We all like each other. We all hang out with each other. And because, um, again, this is a very social industry because we are part of we are part of hospitality at the end of the day. And um, so. I am a true believer of, of hanging out with what, you know, you want to hang out with your friends where well, your friends are in the industry, you know, and then friends are without the industry. You bring them together, which I've done that many times. Um, and so I'm, I'm a big, firm believer of that. And because, again, at the end of the day, we're very, very social because if you can't get up in front of a group and talk about what you're passionate about and what you've been taught and, and how to approach a brand and teach about a brand, then you're not going to be in that industry for very long. So as we're sort of wrapping this up here, um, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to do a couple things. Um, number one, um, I, I know I can speak for myself and Bobby and Scott, whenever you're in town next, we're, uh, we're definitely going to come out and, um, uh, you know, come to a class if we can and yes. come to one of your, uh, one of your events as well. Um, I assume you'll be, you'll be back at Bill Sullivan's place again. Yes. Yeah, so um, uh, I'm looking at my calendar today. I was looking at it earlier today. Um, Cause one of uh, my youngest daughter, a wedding that she was in and we're going to in June has been uh, postponed till mid October. So I, I, I'd already talked to Bill Sullivan about coming out back to Delaware mid October. I, I think I might do it early October or the first weekend in November. Just to, I just maybe an extra week to play out. Plus, it's nice and cool then uh, in November, early November. Uh, right? I already rescheduled a couple of things. Listen, my calendar has been completely flatlined, <laughs> and that's why I pivoted to virtual tasting, which is great. Uh, I'm going to send you my outline, but so it will be. You'll have it on my. And an email from me here the next uh, two or three days. I'm waiting to hear, hear back from Bill because they're shuttered. You know, Bill, you know, the, the yeah, hospital, yeah, it's a hotel, yeah. <laughs> they're shuttered uh, until first part of June. Um, and even my bu- my buddy who runs their banquets there, you know, he's shuttered. So I'm going to start uh, getting a hold of those guys here in the next week because they've got to rebuild their schedules. Obviously, everything is just tight right now. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah, I mean, I know, I know you'll yeah. let me know. You'll let us know when you're, when you're back I in want town. You guys to, I want you guys to go to that class I teach at UDE. Uh, yeah. It's 100%. At, it's, at Marriott. it's at the Marriott, by the way. It's in the back mm-hmm. classroom there. Uh, yeah. On, on property there. So that's easy. Um, the, the professor who teaches that class, he, he wants me to get back there as soon as possible. We, I just want to, we'll just see what happens here in the next yeah awesome and everybody's super loosey-goosey right now about all that um 
And, but yeah, we, we definitely want to get out when you're in the area again. And, you know, as as the cast chasers group expands, I mean, we've already gone, I mean, we, we've been talking to, um, to your namesake distillery in Australia, um, a decent amount. We've been talking to old Kempton as well. So, I mean, we're international now. Well, that's international group. (laughs) Because, you know, we, the, the Kempton's, you know, it's, it's an old name from England. Um, his name was changed centuries ago. So we're somehow tenants related somehow on a, on a twig. One of the twigs went to Australia. The other went this way. Yeah. But I've been in correspondence with them and listen, if I'm going to, I'm trying to get a couple bottles and if I have one by October, I'm going to bring it with me. Yeah. And we'll do, we'll do the same for you because we've been in contact with them trying to get something over. So if we, if we're able to get our hands on something, we'll, we'll reach out to you as well. Um, But also I, I, I just want to sort of, take half a pivot here and um, talk to the cast chasers group, the cast chasers community, the podcast listeners, whatever you guys hear Russ talking about this, about all of this. And I have yet to have a question that I approached Russ with that he didn't have an answer just in his brain right there. And then about whiskey, I'm excited to find the day that I do have um, that, that, uh, that question that stumps him for a minute. Um, but, uh, Russ has been very forthcoming with me and told me, you know, uh, as you hear from every great, every great person who knows a lot about something, you know, as as soon as you stop learning, you know, that's, that's the day that, you know, you're wrong, you know? So, um, you know, you, you just keep learning, you keep learning. We're all, you know, we're all students of this. We're all enthusiasts of this. And, um, Russ, I, Russ, you're, you're, since since the first moment I talked to you, you've been an extreme asset just to me personally, um, not to mention to the group, the listeners, um, probably a solid third of what I say on the podcast is something that I've learned straight from Russ. So, Russ, just thank you so much for for being here and giving us a little a little snippet of your your vast, vast knowledge. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate that. Uh, so, Russ, in, you know, as we close, one of the things we pride ourselves on is bringing in the new uh, whiskey enthusiasts, those who are just looking for a place to land, learn, and and kind of grow their their knowledge and their love for whiskey. So, we have a lot of new people to whiskey. Uh, in closing, if you were to give the new person with very little experience any uh, words of wisdom or some insight on how to proceed through their journey, what would that be? All right. So, Scott, it is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm, you know, whiskeys are to enjoy and, and, and take it slowly. Uh, don't get bullied into doing something you don't want to do. Your palate is your palate. Do it methodically. Uh, and, and then you're going to develop your passion, your knowledge and your wisdom as you go through your journey. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. The website's uh, speakingofgrapesandgrain.com. Uh, we, we encourage everybody to go out there, uh, be on the lookout uh, at Cash Chasers for uh, future live events. We have one coming up uh, this weekend, and, uh, and I'm sure you'll see Russ around in the group as well as uh, other places. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening, as always, to this episode of the Cash Chasers podcast, and a very special thank you to Russ Kempton for joining us this week. I strongly urge you to check out Russ's website, speakingofgrapesandgrains.com. You can find a wealth of information on this site, including several sections on understanding your favorite spirits, 
a section where you can follow along with Russ's tasting journeys all over the world, and a very detailed list of distilleries and wineries from all over. I can't begin to tell you how much information is on this site, so you'll just have to check it out for yourself. Speaking of grapesandgrains.com. The Cash Chasers group is also very active on social media as we try to bring you live events to help beat the quarantine blues. You may even see Russ Kempton on there again at some point, so be on the lookout on all our social media pages. You can find us at Cash Chasers. Stay healthy, stay safe, and remember, Cash Chasers, it's not about finding the perfect dram, it's all in the chase.